You're listening to the Odyssey out loud. I'm Anna Katerina. Episode 11. The suitors make a plan. So, while Menelaus feasted in his hall, the suitors entertained themselves in Ithaca, playing with the discus and throwing javelins on the leveled ground in front of Odysseus Hall, where they'd been before, being unbearably full of themselves. Antinous and godlike Eurymachus, the leaders of the suitors, sat. They were far and away the best of the best. Then Noemon, the son of Phronius, came up to them and asked, Antinous, do we or do we not have any idea when Telemachus might come back from Sandy Pylos? He left, taking my ship, and now I need her to get me across to spacious Elis. I've got twelve mares there, nursing untamed, hard-working mules, and I'd like to drive one of them out so I can tame it. That's what he said, and they were stunned. They hadn't thought Telemachus had gone to Nelian Pylos. They'd thought he was somewhere in the fields, or with the sheep, or with the swineherd. Then Antinous, the son of Eupethes, said to him, Tell me, and don't leave anything out. When did he go, and which young men went with him, men chosen from Ithaca or his own servants and slaves? Even he could pull that off. Noemon, the son of Phronius, said back to him, I gave it to him willingly. What should I have done when a man like that, as sick at heart as him, asks? It would have been difficult to say no. Young men, the best of us in the region, they followed him. I noticed their leader, mentor, going on board, or a god who looked exactly like him. But I wonder. You know, I saw a divine mentor here yesterday, towards dawn, but by then he'd already boarded a ship for Pylos. So saying, Noemon set off for his father's house, and both Antinous and Eurymachus were shocked to the core. They stopped the games, and had the suitors sit down together. Then Antinous, the son of Eupathes, spoke up. He was troubled, his heart full of rage, wrapped in darkness, his eyes blazing like fire. This is unbelievable. What Telemachus did, it's no small thing. This journey of his, he did it arrogantly, disrespectfully, and we said he wouldn't do it. If a kid starts going against the will of the majority like this, picking out the best men in the area, taking a ship, he'll start to become even worse. May Zeus destroy his life for him before he grows up. But come on, give me a fast ship and twenty companions so I can lie in wait and watch for him coming back through the strait between Ithaca and rugged Samos as he sails to his detriment on account of his father. That's what he said, and they all approved and urged him on. Then, standing up, at once they went into Odysseus' house. It wasn't long before Penelope knew their intentions, which they plotted, privately, in their minds. The herald, Medon, told her. He was outside in the courtyard while they wove their scheme inside, and he learned their plans. He made his way through the house to report to Penelope. Stepping down from the threshold, Penelope said to him, Herald, why have the illustrious suitors sent you? To tell the slave women of godlike Odysseus to stop their work and make them dinner? Let this be the last and final time they feast here, no more courting, and no more meeting for any other reason. Gathering so often, you all strip warlike-wise Telemachus of his substance. And you clearly didn't hear anything from your fathers when you were children about how Odysseus was with your parents. 
He never did or said anything unreasonable or unjust in this region, as is traditional with godlike kings who might hate one mortal, love another. But that one never at any time did anything entirely wicked to a man. But your heart and shameful actions are obvious, and you don't show any gratitude when someone's done right by you. Medon, insightful and sensitive, said back to her, I wish that were the worst of it, my queen. But the suitors are planning something else, much bigger and more disastrous, God forbid it happens. They want to kill Telemachus with sharp bronze on his way home. He went to Holy Pylos and divine Lacedaemon looking for news of his father. That's what he said. And right then and there she went weak at the knees. Her heart faltered and she was left speechless. Her eyes were filled with tears and her rich voice choked. After a long time she said back to him, Harold, tell me why my child left me. There wasn't any reason for him to take swift-sailing ships, which do the work of horses as men cross vast oceans. He didn't need to go. He'll be forgotten. Not even his name will be left for mankind. Then Medon, insightful and sensitive, said back to her, I don't know if some god provoked him or if his heart was driven of its own accord to go to Pylos, so he could get information about his father's homecoming, or whatever fate he's encountered. So saying, Medon left the house of Odysseus, and heartbreaking pain poured over Penelope, and she couldn't stand to sit in her chair any more, and even though there were plenty of places to sit in the house, she sank down on the well-worked threshold of her bedroom, crying pitifully, and all her women, young and old throughout the house, wept softly around her. Tears streaming, Penelope spoke to them. Friends, listen to me. The Olympian has given me more pain than any of the women who grew up with me. Me, who first lost my good, lion-hearted husband, whose worth in so many ways outstripped the other Danaeans, and whose fame was known far and wide throughout Hellas and Middle Argos. And now a hurricane has carried off my dear child from our hall, unsung, unheard of, without a name for himself, and I didn't even know he'd gone. You're all so cruel. It didn't occur to any of you to wake me up? Fully aware he was leaving in a hollow black ship? If I'd found out he was thinking of making this journey then, without a doubt he'd either have stayed, however much he wanted to go, or he'd have left me dying in our hall. All right. Someone run and get the old man Dolios, the slave my father gave me when I came here who keeps an orchard for me with plenty of trees. I need him to go and sit with Laertes. So he can quickly tell him all about this. Hopefully he'll think up a plan and go out and complain to the people who want to devour him and the descendants of godlike Odysseus. Then the dear nurse, Eurycleia, said back to her, Darling girl, whether you kill me with ruthless bronze or let me remain in your hall, I won't hide this story from you. I knew all about this. I gave him the things he asked for, food and sweet wine, and he made me swear not to tell you. Until the twelfth day had come, or you missed him and heard that he'd gone. That way you wouldn't spoil your beautiful skin with weeping. But go wash up, 
Find clean clothes, and going upstairs with your women, pray to Athena, the daughter of Zeus, the Aegis-bearer. She might save him then, even from death. Don't trouble an already troubled man, for I don't think the offspring of Arcesiades is entirely hated by the blessed gods, but I think there will still be one left who can keep the high-roofed houses and far-off rich fields. That's what she said. And then Penelope put her weeping to rest, and dried her eyes. She washed up, found clean clothes, and went upstairs with her women. She put barley in a reed basket, and prayed to Athena. Hear me, child of Zeus, the Aegis-bearer, Atritone, tireless one. If ever in these halls inventive Odysseus burned the thigh bones and fat of oxen or sheep for you, remember it for me now. And save my dear son. Protect him from the wicked suitors. Some men they are. So saying, she cried aloud, ululating, and the goddess heard her prayer. Throughout the shadowy halls, the suitors kicked up a racket, and one of the young, hyper-masculine young men said, Hey, I bet the queen, surrounded by suitors, is getting a wedding ready for us, totally ignorant of the murder that's planned for her son. That's the sort of thing one of them would say. But they didn't know what was going to happen. Antinous addressed them and said, You're all insane. Don't brag, don't even come close. Someone might report it inside. Let's stand up, and in silence, carry out the plan we all fixed on. So saying, he chose the twenty best men, and they made their way to the shore of the sea in their swift ship. First of all, they drew the ship down to the deep sea. They set up the mast and the black ship's sails, and put the oars in the leather straps, all as it should be, and spread the white sail. Their high-spirited attendants carried their gear. They anchored her out at sea, to the south, and went ashore. They had dinner there and waited for evening to come. Meanwhile, Penelope lay upstairs, without food, not eating or drinking, wondering whether her irreproachable son would escape from death or be overpowered by the overbearing suitors. Just like a lion in a crowd of men frets with anxiety, afraid when they draw a cunning circle around him, in just the same way she was worrying when sweet sleep came to her. She lay back, and all her muscles relaxed, and she slept. And then the goddess, bright-eyed Athena, had another thought. She made an apparition in the shape of a woman. If Theme the daughter of great-hearted Icarios, whom Eumelos, who made his home in Ferai, married. Athena sent it to the house of godlike Odysseus to stop the mourning and weeping Penelope from tears and grief. It got into the room alongside the leather strap of the bolt. It stood over her head and said, Penelope, 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 are you asleep? Is your heart heavy? The carefree gods won't let you grieve or cry. Your son will still get his homecoming since he hasn't offended the gods in any way. Thoughtful Penelope answered her, slumbering very sweetly in the gate of dreams. Why are you here, sister? You've never come before. You live very far away. And now you tell me to put an end to the many pains and griefs that trouble my heart and mind. 
first I lost my good lion-hearted husband, whose worth in so many ways outstripped the other Danaeans, and whose fame was known far and wide throughout Hellas and Middle Argos. And now my dear child has gone in a hollow ship. He doesn't know anything about hard work, or how to speak in public. I grieve more for him than my husband. I'm trembling and afraid for him. What if something happens to him at sea, or in the country of the people he's gone to? There are many enemies plotting against him, intent on killing him before he gets to his fatherland. The shadowy phantom said, answering her, Be strong, be strong. Don't be so afraid. Not in any way. He's got such a guide with him, which even other men would pray to have stand by their side, for Pallas Athena is powerful, and she takes pity on you in your sorrow. Thoughtful, Penelope said back to her, If you're a god, and have heard the voice of a goddess, then come on. Tell me about that miserable man. Tell me if he's still alive and sees the light of the sun, or if he's already dead and in the house of Hades. The shadowy phantom said, answering her, I won't tell you anything positively about that one. Whether he's alive or dead, it's bad to gossip like the wind. So saying, the phantom slipped out past the bolt of the door and into the breeze. The daughter of Icarios got up from bed, and her heart was warmed because a tangible dream had hurried to her out of the dead of night. Meanwhile, the suitors got on board and sailed over the watery roads, plotting the sheer destruction of Telemachus. There's a certain rocky island in the middle of the sea, between Ithaca and rugged Samos. It's not big, but there are safe harbors on either side of it. There the Achaeans set their ambush and waited. You've been listening to the Odyssey Out Loud. I'm Anna Katarina. You can learn more and listen to new episodes at theodysseyoutloud.com. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash odysseyoutloud. Thank you for listening. <laughs>